Welcome to TechBytes, your inside look at the ServiceNow platform. I'm your host, Steve Miller. Today we're going to talk about web services with Integrations Product Manager Brian Barnard and Software Engineering Manager Silas Smith. We'll be talking about HTTP logging, the IoT lab at Knowledge17, and lots more. Stay tuned! Joining us today are Brian Barnard and Silas Smith. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, Steve. Glad to be here. Thanks, Steve. Brian and Silas are both managers on the web services team. We're really glad to have them with us today to share some insights about the product. Before we get rolling on the web services, maybe you guys could introduce yourselves to our listeners. Uh, Brian, what's your role in the project? Uh, so I'm the integrations product manager. Well, that really means that I'm in charge of figuring out what we're going to build in terms of enabling customers to build integrations or enabling us at ServiceNow to build integrations. Things like uh, support for various interfaces, whether it be SOAP or REST, to be able to consume APIs or surface APIs so people can extend our platform, uh, as well as things like authentication. People want to make sure they can use the appropriate authentication when they're making requests to ServiceNow or from ServiceNow. We also work to identify uh, applications and systems we need to build integrations with. Uh, and it really, that's something that I'm passionate about. I care deeply about. Another way to put that is I, I really enjoy, you know, figuring out how to make machines talk to machines. I think that's really powerful and helps us help our customer, customers automate their processes uh, and save money and, and derive more value from ServiceNow. That's what I do at ServiceNow. Uh, on a personal note, I think there's three ways I describe myself. So I'm a sailor. I really enjoy sailing and racing. I'm a parrot head. That means I like Jimmy Buffett. For those of you that don't understand that, and I'm a father to, uh, to three wonderful children. That keep me very busy. <laughs> I bet. Okay, thank you. And Silas, how about you? What's your role here? Yeah, um, so I'm a, a software manager here with the, the platform development team, and I, I, I specifically manage the our integrations and our web, and our authentication teams. Um, I've been working with Brian now for a couple of years now, uh, so he's he's the product manager for every team um, that that uh, I develop software for, and so I like to say that you know he's kind of telling me what to do a lot. Uh, and, you know, I'll build the things that he asked me to build. Um, I've always kind of been in, into the API space and the web services API space. I find it much more interesting to, to connect systems together programmatically and automatically versus building more of like the user experience type interfaces. Um, for me, it's always about, um, you know, what's going on under the hood. So that's, that's where my, my passions have been. So I was really glad, you know, when, um, you know, to be able to join ServiceNow um, uh, several years ago and, and be able to immediately start building um, what would become our REST services framework. Uh, it was really like the next-gen uh, iteration of our web services support in the platform. So things like, you know, the REST table API is our first real API on top of that framework. But then you look at what we've done with our scripted REST framework, um, which is enabling our customers to then build that that same level of like first class API on our platform. Um, so it's really exciting to me. Uh, on a personal note, I am also uh, quite busy with um, a couple of kids at home. Um, and, you know, I've, I've got uh, some hobbies. My most recent uh, kind of interest is actually I'm um, attempting to get my pilot's license, which is bringing with it a whole separate set of challenges and stress to my life, but uh, <laughs> uh, keeps, me bu- keeps me busy. It's making me a bit nervous because Silas chose a, a hobby where if you're tired or exhausted and you make a mistake, you die, right? I keep asking him, like, can you please choose a less dangerous hobby because I need you to keep building the things that I want ServiceNow to, to have built? 
So it's up to you then to make sure he doesn't get tired. Uh, this is what I tell him all the time. And at the same time to, to, you know, deliver more product. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, before we get started on the details that you want to talk with us about today, um, maybe you could give us a quick overview of web services for folks who may not be familiar with it. Sure, happy to. So uh, web services is it's a term that's been around for a while, and people sometimes hear APIs more uh, prevalently these days. But essentially, these are all web services. And what we mean is that you know communication is happening between systems. That could be something like your browser. These days, it could also be something like your car or your phone or a mobile app to an API. Whether it's you know a SOAP API or a REST API, these are different uh, formats and protocols that are being used. Nine times out of ten, these are using HTTP under the hood to make those requests. So when you open your browser and, and open a web page, it's actually issuing an HTTP request. Uh, when you pull up your your app on your phone and you send a, a message using your phone, it's probably making an HTTP request. And it's calling a web service somewhere to communicate with another system, another application, uh, in a format that's been predetermined, right? So these things can be a little pedantic. They want to have their commas and their zeros in the right place. And the formats are, are important. So these web services are really enabling uh, the next level of, of automation and also integration from cars to phones to, to browsers to um, to everything that connect, can connect to the web. And I think we're going to talk about a little more, but it's also driving the, the Internet of Things, or what I like to sometimes call the Internet of APIs, um, to happen. So does that help? Absolutely. Yeah, and if I could just um, add a, a few notes there. Um, the way that this really takes shape on our platform, on the Now platform, um, is really in terms of, you know, where does the API reside? Um, is it an API that's hosted by ServiceNow and the client who's making calls to that is external to, to service now. Um, we tend to, to, to use, um, we tend to think of those in terms of like, that's an inbound to service now, um, type integration. We actually support the other direction as well, where service now can act as the client to consume uh, a third party API, whether it's soap or rest or what have you. So what it boils down to is like, you know, client versus server, where's the API residing, who's the host, who's the client. And on ServiceNow, you often hear us talk about those in terms of like, it's an inbound API versus an outbound API. And Silas and I really want to make sure that ServiceNow can expose its capabilities uh, as a service management or as an HR case management, any one of the type of use cases our customers have via APIs. And so we want to make sure ServiceNow is consumable by those other clients. And at the same time, we want to make sure that ServiceNow can consume web services provided by other applications so that customers can integrate with the applications that are important to them to solve those business problems. Is there a focus on one or the other? Do we, does most of that interaction take place with uh, ones that reside on our side or is there a lot from APIs on the other side? Honestly, I would say that from release to release, we may decide that we need to invest in one area more than others, but we really focus on both making sure ServiceNow is consumable and that we can consume other APIs. And we drive that focus based on customer feedback. Uh, at the same time, there's plenty of things that Salus and I want to build and don't get quite enough time to build. Uh, the great thing about APIs and web services is there's plenty of demand. People are ever-increasing the things they want to talk to each other, and ServiceNow is often at the heart of that for our customers. So we feel like we're enabling you know, ServiceNow to be at the heart of that for our customers and allowing them to derive more value from their investment in ServiceNow. Okay. Um, That must mean that you have to keep in very close contact with the customers, especially to keep up with what they're doing on their side. Uh, I don't know if I'd say it's on a daily basis, but it feels like almost on a daily basis. Silas and I both get involved frequently in conversations with the customers, uh, visit customers, 
uh, as well as interact heavily at the uh, our knowledge conferences with customers. Yeah, and the other the other source, I mean, in addition to our customers that um, you know we use as it's it's kind of um, it's a wealth of of data is our community site on ServiceNow. People coming there, what are the questions that they're asking? What are the things that they're asking for? Um, and kind of what's the activity on the, those those posts and those forums around those features? Like that's that's a wealth of data that we we look at as well. Okay, well, thanks very much for the background. With that in mind, one topic you said you wanted to cover was HTTP logging, a new feature in Istanbul. Yeah, um, so this is something that uh, is actually, it's not that exciting, but it's just one of the, the, the most basic things that you kind of was like, when you hear that it's, that it's not there and then we added it, it's kind of like, well, of course you would have that. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we, we cover it to make sure that people are aware of uh, that it exists now. So this is on, I mentioned inbound versus outbound. This is um, on the outbound side. So where ServiceNow is acting as the client to a third-party API. Um, there previously wasn't any record of, you know, those API calls that were happening. So if you wanted to, from an auditing standpoint, be able to see like, hey, who are all the hosts that my service, that my instance is talking to? You didn't have a good way or really any way to, to really key in on that. Um, so the, the thing that we added was, was, uh, what we call HTTP outbound logging. And it's exactly that it's uh, a log of the traffic that's, that's, uh, coming from the ServiceNow instance to a third party. So we log things like the host name, the HTTP request URL that you're uh, making a request to, um, as well as, you know, some information about the response, like, was it, did it succeed or not? Did you get a 200 response? Um, or something different. And then, you know, if if you're at all familiar with uh, log levels, like in, in software development, we, we added that capability to where it has a, a value uh, in the debugging sense. So let's say that you're developing an, a new integration and you want to actually see the response that's coming back so that you can understand how do you need to actually consume it on, in your, your software. Um, you can raise the log level um, to say that, oh, okay, raise it to uh, elevated or, or just log everything and we'll log the, the request and the response payloads um, uh, to allow you to, to kind of introspect and see and understand more, more about what's going on. Uh, and then that could be turned back off when, you know, when you're ready to go to production. I mean, I, I would add that one thing from a customer perspective is that before we put this, uh, introduce this feature, to do this, you'd actually have to use a third-party tool. Right, so as a customer would have to go buy or pay for a third-party service or tool to gain this type of transparency and visibility into my outbound request, and with the introduction of this feature, now you don't have to do that. Right, it's really nice that you can stay on platform, and I think that's really helpful. People, people will find it refreshing, uh, and I like to to add transparency where we can to the platform. It always makes me feel good having been a former customer. I also like to to give our customers more visibility into what's happening. Um, I think it's an exciting feature. So, you know, when, when my development manager introduces it as not so exciting, just logging, I like to add this at the end. And I think it's a pretty exciting feature. And, and the customers that are dealing with integrations and debugging integrations are going to be very thankful to have this. We've actually had some of that feedback already. The best part is sometimes they'll say, I, I didn't know you didn't have this. Or I can't believe you didn't have this before, which 
might not be you know the um, the the keynote type feature from K seventeen, but it's definitely something they find valuable and they're using every day. It does sound useful. Now, you guys mentioned uh, auditing function and troubleshooting. Are there other purposes that you'd use that for? I think um, one of the others, and I mentioned, you know, debugging during development, but there's another form of of debugging, you know, debugging during troubleshooting. Like when something's not working, the third party API that you're you're making a call to isn't isn't working the way that that you think your integration is broken. Um, what you'd used to have to do is is get in there and you know do the the traditional like the original form of, of that troubleshooting would be okay I have to add a bunch of log statements to my code you know at different points to okay get the re- response body and then log that out somewhere where I can see it so here you know you don't have to do that as your first go to you don't have to modify your source code in order to understand how you know how it's break uh, how it might be broken. Um, because then you're in, in by doing that you're introducing more risk like you're changing code now you're not running the same thing so this is very useful just from the standpoint of being able to quickly be able to understand you know what's the traffic pattern are these is the third party working or not um, and then be able to know that okay well it, it must not be them it must be something in my code and be able to dig further one other thing to add is that you, you mentioned audit but just to bring an example use case to to make that more um tangible for people, uh, it's really important usually to know what other systems, your system that's critical to your business is communicating with. And you likely have an expected set of communications that are happening, and you'd like to be able to identify what's an unexpected communication. And because we implemented this so that we use uh, normal tables in ServiceNow, because we have reporting capabilities, you can actually build those reports on these tables that are being used for outbound HTTP logging and do things using filters and standard uh, aggregation that would allow you to detect something that you didn't expect, right? You could also put in filters that said, hey, this is a list of things I do expect to be communicating with. And if something doesn't match those, you know, show it or flag it or create a task for somebody in my team to go work on to identify what that unknown uh, endpoint that I'm now communicating with is. Was it introduced by one of my developers? Was it introduced by a consultant that I hired? Was it introduced by an application that I may have installed into my ServiceNow instance? Can you tell me a little more about a debugging scenario where this would be useful? Sure. So one thing that if I'm looking at an upbound request in ServiceNow, I might um, not understand what the cause of that request was, right? Was it a business rule? Was it the firing of a script on a business rule? Was it a workflow that caused that upbound request to happen? And I'm trying to go trace that down. It can be somewhat difficult. As Silas mentioned earlier, you might go in and add logging statements in many places to then have to trace that down. But then you probably want to remember to go turn off all that logging afterwards if you're you're being professional or following best practices. What we introduced in uh, the outbound HTTP request logging is a source field. And we will actually track the source of that outbound request. So we would actually tell you if it came from a business rule and which business rule it came from or if it came from a workflow activity and which one it came from, so that you could identify that and know what was causing that upbound request to happen. All right, well, let's shift gears then. Um, I understand that you guys had a really good lab on the Internet of Things, IoT, at Knowledge17. I wonder if you guys could tell us a little about that. Yeah, so we we just got past knowledge seventeen. I think we're finally starting to feel recovered. It was uh, the best knowledge I've I've been to yet. I started knowledges in knowledge eleven, so this one just feels kind of huge. But Silas and I came up with a, uh, some ideas with some other members of our team this year 
that we, we wanted to really make IoT accessible to people. We wanted to do a lab where people got hands-on with some IoT devices and they could walk away having a better understanding of, of IoT, what that meant, and what that meant in, uh, in terms of service now, right? And I think that one thing we recognized and, and uh, made us want to put the lab on is because we deal with APIs and web services all the time, we really think of, as I mentioned before, IoT as the Internet of APIs, right? These are systems talking to each other. They just happen to be devices that now people can feel and touch as opposed to in the past, they would be applications, you know, running on your phone or, or something else. Now you can think about a, a sensor on a microwave or a sensor on a refrigerator actually communicating its temperature to the internet that's then uh, giving you some type of warning that, you know, maybe your refrigerator stopped cooling. Um, that would be one example. But for a lot of people, that still seems pretty far off and they don't understand the guts, like how that works. So we can, came up with this lab where people would get hands-on with some devices that we had pre-built uh, to help them understand a working model they could touch and feel and see working and also work with it in ServiceNow in that lab in that period of two hours uh, where they'd walk out and, and feel like they had an understanding, had done something, had interacted with that device. And we also wanted to make sure that this lab made sense in terms of typical use cases in ServiceNow. So we came up with a device that would represent a business service, and it did this using a, a Lego arm. It was fun to use sort of devices that people are familiar with. So it took away that sort of inaccessibility or what is that? I'm, I'm, that's way profess too professional for me or, you know, I haven't seen that before. They must have done a ton of work to put that together. When people see those things that they're used to, even physical things they're used to, they feel like they can get some understanding. So that was important in the choice. And so we represented it in this physical arm that, that would be a fuel gauge, right? It represented a fuel gauge. And as it clicked down or descended, uh, it would represent a business service that if it got to zero, right, or past an indicator line, it would cross a threshold and represent an outage. And so it was a little bit of a game for our lab attendees where they would have to, uh, via ServiceNow, via using workflows and outbound web services in ServiceNow, actually set off indicators that would help them go remediate the issue, go refill that fuel gauge via some action taken on the device, and eventually, uh, through our exercises in the lab, come to a state where they had fully automated that, right? So in the beginning of the lab, we, we started off where they actually lost a team member because that team member had to physically be there looking at the device. And by the end, they, uh, as a team, didn't have to do anything to have the full remediation of this uh, this potential business service, its care and feeding, be, be handled. And then we actually gave away some of these devices to, uh, to our teams that excelled or, or we figured out the full automation first so they could take these back to their their work, take them home, and have a, an understanding. And we had people that came up to us after the lab and said, you know, I came into this and I really didn't understand OT and I thought maybe I, it would be too technical for me or I wouldn't be able to understand it. Uh, and I'm walking away understanding IoT, uh, I feel like it's demystified it for me. It's made it accessible and, and real. And I also understand how I could could use it with ServiceNow, right? So I can go back and think about ways at work that I might be able to, to use ServiceNow with IoT. And that's that really helped us meet our goal. Uh, as, a, as a company, we really want to help people understand how they could use ServiceNow with IoT. We're just at the beginning of, of uh, our, our process of introducing product to really make that accessible for customers. And... At the same time, because Silas and I really are passionate about uh, interfaces, web services, I also like to educate. I like helping people better understand how these things can help them in their day-to-day -day lives or in their day-to-day -day business processes, right? How they get their work done. Just echoing, um, you know, everything Brian said, um, I think for me the the most exciting part of that lab and the most um, fun part was not just playing with Legos, which was actually uh, 
incredibly fun to be able to go to work and play with Legos. Um, but the the way that we formatted the lab um, around this team structure and around this physical device, uh, if, if you've ever been to um, another uh, any other lab at, at Knowledge before, they tend to be fairly... Um, you know, you go and you do it, and you you have people all around you, but you don't necessarily interact with them. Um, this we said, you know, hey, you're coming into the room. You need to form a team of four people. Find four people, uh, and if you and, and you know, we'll help you. Um, but right away, um, that was already different. So it already kind of set this bar. It's like, oh, this is different. Um, and you know, it was actually it was really refreshing to see um, the kind of the team camaraderie that just in the span of of the lab. Um, that was built because I mean teams are that's how we work right we work in teams um, so for me that that was really refreshing to see um, to see the teams rally around um, this thing that was different and you know what is this device there's a you know a potentiometer that I have to turn to remediate the problem they actually had to read a KB article in order to understand how to do that you know kind of representing like the pain of having to send out a field technician and in, in you know to go remediate some service outage um, so it was a pretty innovative lab, uh, we felt, um, and so it, it was exciting to be a part of that. One thing um, that I think is worth mentioning is that it's not a one-and-done um, lab. We're actually um, going to be taking this out. Uh, there, there are these events that we're calling CreatorCon on the Road, um, where we're taking you know kind of the best pieces of CreatorCon um, and, and taking them out almost like on a road show. Uh, and this will be one of the featured labs. So if, if you're at K-17 and you didn't get to, to participate, you know, now's your chance. Um, if you weren't at K-17, then, you know, here again is now is your chance. Um, so I highly recommend um, attending one of those events and, and participating in this lab. Yeah, and if you want to find out about those CritterCon on the roads, uh, they're, they're going to be announced soon with locations and dates. Uh, stay tuned to, to servicenow.com as well as developer.servicenow.com where you can click on the events tab and you'll see calendar uh, dates and some more information about where they will be held as they're announced. They're, they're still upcoming, and uh, I can say that they're targeted for the third and fourth quarter of this year right now. I can give any more detail at this point, but, but check out the website and stay tuned, and you'll get to see both the IoT lab as well as some other exciting labs being held in various locations around the world. Okay, this sounds like a really engaging event, both from the standpoint of technology and from the teamwork aspect. It sounds like a, a really fun thing for customers. One thing I was curious about, um, from talking with the customers at the lab, would you be able to give an example of an actual use case scenario, something that they're truly using uh, this, this capability for? So it, they weren't using this capability, but one thing that came, uh, that came up after the fact uh, that I had a any conversation with somebody about was they worked for an airline and this airline had tugs that took luggage away from, uh, from the airport and had to deliver it to airplanes. And they said, you know, now that I've seen how you can connect service now with this, there's something like 16 to, to 30 tasks that have to be accomplished and tracked in audited fashion for that plane to leave the gate. And one of those things is, is loading that luggage. And as everybody's trying to do things more efficiently, you know, notifying the people that are going to have to load that luggage that a tug is approaching that's bringing luggage to, to load in a timely manner so they can do sort of a just-in-time uh, loading would be beneficial for them. And they wouldn't be using the device that we showed them how to use at Knowledge, 
but we did inspire them to think about how these devices could be automatically opening incidents or tasks in ServiceNow that were assigned to teams and then using ServiceNow's notification capabilities, notifying those teams that were assigned to complete those tasks in a timely manner to go take the action to then close a task and have those required tasks be uh, be completed have them be tracked in, in ServiceNow, which is their system of record, and, and automate that process and increase efficiency. And so that wasn't something they've done yet, but it was something that after having gone through this lab, they said, you know what, I, I wouldn't have thought about that before I've gone through this lab. Oh, well, from just that one use case scenario, it sounds like the, the potential applications are just vast for this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see IoT permeate our lives. We're not going to, you're going to hear the term, and it's going to be this sort of foreign thing, or you might have one or two examples you ever had, but you won't realize how many places it's it's actually coming into and the places it's bleeding into uh, to your everyday life. As every day we're seeing more of it. It's really exciting uh, for us to be enabling that. Okay, well, next, uh, let's turn to a question from a user. Uh, we are asked, does ServiceNow support server name indication, SNI? And if so, which release? Yeah, this is, this is one that, um, you know, I mentioned that, that we get a lot of our, uh, you know, feedback for requirements from community. This is one that comes up on the community site um, a lot. And this is one that we actually took um, it from there in addition to um, some, some issues that some of our customers were having um, in you know, trying to contact an API where server name indication is required. So let me break it down um, uh, for what server SNI is, uh, as well as how, we, how we're going to support it. Um, so this really came about when um, kind of the inter- infrastructure as a service, this commoditized uh, sort of virtual hosting uh, became so prevalent in our industry um, that this notion that you could put on a single IP address, multiple hosts, and and each of those hosts uh, is going to want to have its own SSL certificate that represents that this is you know my host versus their host.com. Um, the where that breaks down um, if you don't have SNI support is that you can't make an SSL connection that's actually trusted because um, there there wasn't a mechanism at the the TCP kind of SSL handshake la- layer. To be able to say, uh, you know, yeah, I'm contacting this IP address, um, but when when you make me the connection to that IP address, the the certificate that I'm really interested in uh, is, you know, myhost.com. So SNI is that mechanism. So it's an extension of the the TLS uh, socket protocol, the TLS protocol, uh, to be able that for the client to tell the server. When you make this SSL connection, the host that I'm interested in is myhost.com. Send me that certificate, and that's the one that I'll complete the handshake with. So if you don't have that, it's kind of a deal breaker. Um, up until Jakarta, ServiceNow didn't support SNI. Um, in Jakarta, we will support it. Uh, it will not be enabled by default. Um, you'll have to go in and, and enable a property. Um, but it, it, it will be as simple as that, and that it can be enabled, and it should be very safe to enable in that um, servers, by its nature, the way that the, the SNI is designed it, and the TLS protocol is designed, um, is intended to be very backwards compatible. Um, so it can be enabled um, uh, very safely. So uh, it's one that, you know, it, I've been asked this question so many times. 
um, in different form, forums and different, um, you know, kind of avenues that I'm, I'm finally, I'm extremely excited to be able to say that we're going to uh, be able to support this in Jakarta. This will enable us to close uh, a few enhancement requests directly from customers that we've received. Uh, it's also enabled us to address uh, a community post on, on the ServiceNow community that received a bunch of attention and likes. And so it really feels good for us to, to be able to close this out and provide this functionality. I mentioned earlier that web services uh, can be pedantic, and this is one of those examples. Silas did a great job of explaining it. But really quickly, to, to give one other perspective on it, is why is this important? And the key things that he said is about being able to host multiple certificates at a single IP address. It really comes down to cost, right? There's a lot of global uh, web service providers that will charge you based on a host. And if you can use one host to host multiple SSL certificates, then you can actually save money. And this is one of the things that's driven the adoption of SNI and the, uh, the reason that our customers are, are asking for this is a really important enhancement request for them. So again, we're just happy to be able to give that to them and, and also save them some money, hopefully. Okay, thank you very much. Well, before we wrap up, I was just wondering if you would be able to direct our listeners to other good resources, sources of information. Surely. So uh, the first place that I always tell people to go to is uh, treat it as the on-ramp to developing on ServiceNow is the developer portal for developer.servicenow.com. It's going to give you some persona-based uh, learning paths to go learn about building apps or configuring applications on ServiceNow. Another great resource is the product documentation, which you can access at docs.servicenow.com. And then I encourage people to check out the live coding happy hours, which are a weekly live coding happy hour, exactly what it sounds like. So we have a few of our developer evangelists, uh, Dave Slusher and Josh Nerius, who are putting on a, a live coding happy hour every Friday. Uh, they mention what they're, the brew they're trying that day, as well as taking on a task or a problem that a customer has provided them or just an interesting project, maybe an integration with ServiceNow and, and some other application. And they do live coding, uh, and exactly live on the screen that people can follow along. And those then get recorded and posted out to their YouTube channel as well afterwards. I think that's actually my worst nightmare, <laughs> is having somebody watch me code. So that's, that, I mean, kudos to them for being, you know, putting it out there and, and being able to do that. That's it's called... Awesome. Live coding, not live <laughs> bug writing, Silas. Uh, the other thing I'd point out is if you're interested in IoT and sort of getting started with it, some great things to look at are the Arduino boards, right? So it's A-R-D-U-I-N-O. We'll put some links in this uh, this podcast post, but check out Arduino boards. And uh, there's a great way to start out. There's a bunch of really great tutorials. It allows you to work with a microcontroller. A lot of these things can connect over Wi-Fi to the internet. And then you can start grabbing sensor data, controlling devices in a very maker-friendly or hobbyist-type fashion. It really gives you a great introduction and demystifies some of the, the IoT stuff. In, in addition, stay tuned for a blog post coming out from the Developer Evangelist uh, shortly. If you go to the developer portal, developer.servicenow.com, there's a top-level link for a blog. You should see very soon a, a walkthrough of our IoT kit that we did use in our lab at Knowledge. That'll give you the parts that we used and also, you know, explain uh, in, a, in a very piecemeal fashion how you could set that up and, and make it work for yourself. Okay, great. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, anything else you'd like to, to add on web services? I think they're changing. They have changed and they continue to change the world. And it's really exciting. And, uh, and it's sort of a very technical term, web services. 
but underneath it, it's machines talking machines or systems talking systems. And I think they're, they're changing the world that we live in. And it's really exciting to see it happen every day. I think for me, you know, web services are not as mystifying um, as they might appear to be. Um, so if, if um, this was interesting to you, I'd, I'd suggest, um, you know, trying it out, get it, get involved, write, be a, write a client um, to some API. There, there's a ton of public APIs uh, that you can get, get started with. Um, if you've already got a developer instance with ServiceNow, you can start making uh, API calls to the table API. Use our REST API Explorer, uh, which you can find in the instance, and just get started. Because um, I think once you get started, uh, you'll get hooked. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff, and, and it's kept me interested for a long time. Yeah, to add on that, I, I almost forgot. I, there's some great examples out there. So under the ServiceNow GitHub organization, so if you search ServiceNow on GitHub, you'll find the official ServiceNow organization there. We actually have two example projects, one being a Node.js example client that you can go and, and download and start running with and have it make requests against your personal developer instance. We've got really detailed instructions on how to do that, and that will really piece by piece walk you through the process and help you understand what you can do. And it's Node.js, so using JavaScript, which if you've been building apps and service now, you're already probably somewhat familiar with. There's also an iOS example application out there too. Okay. Well, I want to thank you both very much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be really helpful for uh, for folks who are, are diving into this stuff. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thank you very much for having us. For more information on web services or any other topic, please take a look at our product documentation, knowledge base, or now support YouTube channel. To suggest topics or ask questions about this podcast, check out the ServiceNow community. Thanks for listening.